Well, we are continuing on in our journey of the book of Acts, not just through the modern day book of Acts that we just heard about, but also through the Word of God. So if you turn to Acts chapter 19, that's the chapter we're on. Acts chapter 19, and we're going to just look at a few verses there at the very beginning. But before we do that, I want to tell you why I entitled today's sermon, Incomplete Christianity. I'm going to tell you because there are times, no matter how careful we are, no matter how wise we are in making disciples, sometimes through our Bible studies and through our small groups and through our sermons and through our discussions, there are some things that are left out. Some things that we just, we weren't there that Sunday, we weren't there for that lesson, or we didn't actually understand it. And so, so there are some things we are knowing and, and growing in and other things that are just being unknown. You know, we don't know what we don't know, right? And so this, this situation here in Acts chapter 19 is going to help to illustrate that sometimes there are holes, holes in our understanding of God or in our understanding of God's plan because we don't know it all, right? God does. And so he has given us his precious Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us. So these Disciples, who we're going to read about in just a moment, they understood about Jesus, but their understanding of Jesus was incomplete because they hadn't heard the whole story. They had heard part of the story. Now, I heard this next story that I'm going to tell you as an illustration from another pastor. But there was a woman in his church who, no matter what the pastors and the leaders said to her, she kept bringing her cat to church. And that's not all. When they shared in communion together, she would break her wafer in half and feed half to the cat and half to herself, which greatly disturbed the people around her. They didn't understand what was going on. They challenged her. They told her to stop doing it, but she wouldn't do it. Until finally, someone took the time to ask her, why are you doing that? So they're telling her not to do it. But no one actually stopped and said, explain to us why you're doing that. That's a key thing there in discipleship, right? So here's what it was. She had a big hole in her understanding of God, and especially in relation to eternity. Because she was telling the person who asked, why are you doing this? Well, because my husband has come back and been reincarnated as my cat, and he doesn't want to miss communion. So there were some things about the gospel she understood. She attended church. She participated in communion. And there were some things about the gospel she didn't understand. And that was where her husband was right now. He was not in her lap purring like a kitten. He was in the presence of Jesus, his Lord and Savior. This happens more often than we are willing to admit. Because when there's a hole or a void in our understanding, we tend to fill that void. We tend to pick up things from our culture and pick up things from our background and our traditions and maybe our heritage, and we just fill in the blanks. So we know some things about Jesus, and then there's some things we don't know, so we fill in the blank, like this dear old woman. So in Acts 19, Paul meets a group of disciples 
in Ephesus. I want to read these few verses to you. We're just going to read Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, we had just heard about him last week when Pastor Gary preached a sermon to us about Apollos, Paul was traveling through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Well, into John's baptism, John being John the Baptist's baptism. Not the disciple John, but John the Baptist. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. So that's true, right? As much as John knew at that time, he preached and they had heard that. So when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. So this is a small group happening here. This isn't in the public arena, in the marketplace, or in a courthouse, different places where we've seen Paul. This is with a small group of believers. And I believe that this is just a summary of the discussion, because there really are There's some questions here, but there's not a lot of discussion taking place. And I can't imagine Paul and these disciples not talking in more detail about some of the things that Paul came to share with them to complete their faith in Jesus Christ. So discussion is important, and we don't have it for us here, so we have to ask the Lord to help us to understand how can we apply this to our lives. You see... John told them that there was Jesus and that he was coming and that they should put their faith in him and that they should repent and prepare themselves for him. But that's as far as they got, as far as what we can tell. Now, John the Baptist had said of himself, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming, Jesus, is more powerful than I am. I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's in Luke chapter 3. Now, like Apollos, it seems as though they had parts of the story of our faith. But they didn't have the complete meaning of the cross, of the resurrection, or of the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We don't know exactly, but we know it somehow involves the Holy Spirit, and it somehow involved their baptism, either why they were baptized or even their understanding of what their baptism represented. So, my question is, is that like any of us? You might think that you have the complete package of Christianity, because you were taught a certain way or discipled a certain way or because you attended a Bible college even or because you have always been in Bible study. Maybe you think you've got it all. But I'm going to tell you this morning, there's more. There's more. God is way bigger than us and our understanding of him. So let's clarify first what the difference might have been or is between the baptism of John the Baptist 
and being baptized in Jesus' name. And so in order to do that, we need to look at the the Gospel of Luke, which I just referred to. So Luke chapter 3, I'm going to read you a few verses, and I want you to think about your own baptism if you've been baptized, or think about a baptism that you've seen, uh, either here at church or at a summer camp or in some other setting. Tell me if this sounds like what was taking place at that baptism. So Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 3. This is about John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah. He's out in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah... A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will be straightened, the rough ways smoothed, and everyone will see the salvation of the Lord. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized, was this said to you at your baptism? You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. I, I don't recall any baptism services here that sounded that way, right? This was not the, the nature of the baptism of Jesus or into Jesus' name. It goes on. Therefore, produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham, even from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you now. Very different baptism, right? Two different things are taking place here in the history of the church, in the history of our faith. It's interesting. Now, let's just look at what Jesus says. Jesus himself, if you go on to read the Gospel of Luke, you know that he comes and he is baptized himself. Then he is driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and then Satan comes and tempts him. So we have all of that in Luke chapter 4. When, when Jesus successfully resists the enemy, and the enemy is, is then departed from him, he be, begins his ministry. So turn the page over to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. Can you see where I'm at? I'm hearing some pages, so I'm just waiting, because I don't want you to miss this. Jesus returned to Galilee. What does it say? In the power of the Spirit. Okay, just didn't want you to miss that part. And then news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was preaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Hmm. Doesn't sound like he's saying, You brood of vipers, escape the wrath which is coming upon you. In fact, when he's in his own town of Nazareth, he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he says to you, verse 18, says to the people there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor is upon you. Jesus has a very different approach than John the Baptist. Now, we know that Jesus goes head-to-head with some Pharisees later on. You, You know the Gospels, or you can read them yourself. But his ministry was a ministry of healing and deliverance and teaching and wisdom and power from the Holy Spirit, drawing crowds to himself who needed to be released from their captivity, who needed to be able to see, some physically needed to see and be healed of their blindness, and everyone needed to see spiritually, to be healed from their spiritual blindness. So I wanted you to see the difference. So if you were a disciple of John the Baptist, your whole understanding of God would be shaped around how he was proclaiming the kingdom coming, the wrath of God, and you have to escape. And if you don't, an axe is at the root ready to throw you into a fire. Have you ever heard those sermons? They're called fire and brimstone sermons. Turn or burn sermons. And you probably never heard one from me. I'm far too gentle for that. Sometimes too gentle. But I want you to understand there is a difference. When the Holy Spirit then was on Jesus and he came and he began to minister, people were drawn to him. People needed what he had. They needed healing. They needed restoration. They needed freedom. They needed to be made new again in their relationship with God. He didn't use the fear tactics that sometimes are used. Now, John had a very good reason. I'm not criticizing John. He's a particular person at a particular place in the history of the the Israeli people, the Hebrew people. And so God needed to use him in a specific way. But I want you to understand that at this time in history, in Acts 19, so let's go back there because that's that's our text for today. In Acts 19, now we have some people who have heard up to John the Baptist and now other people who have heard all the way through Pentecost and the early church. And now they're meeting. They're meeting in this one place in Ephesus. And so somehow in the conversation, because I have a hard time believing that, that Paul's just entering a room of people Meeting these guys, these 12 guys, how, how are you? Joe and Sam and Jim and Dennis and John. And how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Paul. And that his first question before he even gets, they get a word out of their mouths, he's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It seems like there has to be a conversation that was taking place or an observation. Was Paul aware enough of their relationships, their, even their prayers, like how they were praying to God. I think like, okay, if they were gathering for a meeting, did someone pray for that meeting? And when that person prayed, was there a sense of dread, like in God's presence, a, a fear, not a, not a holy fear, but a, oh God, 
Don't strike us dead, but we're going to come into your presence and we hope that lightning doesn't hit us and we hope that we're not frizzled up like a French fry by the end of this meeting. You know, was there a sense of tension in that relationship with God or was there a freedom and a joy that was lacking? We don't know. And so I, you know me and my imagination, it's dangerous. But I imagine that Paul somehow observed in their relationship with one another, in their relationship with God, that something wasn't quite right. Now, they're called disciples. And there's different teachers over the years who have written things called commentaries. And some commentaries say, well, they couldn't have been disciples like we use the word disciples, except the word disciples is the exact same word for disciples. So I don't like it when people make up arguments. So if the word says disciples, and that's the only way that Greek word is used through the whole Gospels in the New Testament, then these were disciples. They were accepted by God for their faith, even though their faith may have been limited to certain knowledge, right? But God still, by his grace, called them disciples, had them referred to as disciples. They still wanted to meet with the Apostle Paul and learn what he had to share with them. They were eager and desired to be in his presence. So I know I've kind of gone off script, but we're going to be back there in a minute. I want to talk about sort of your spiritual awakening in relation to John and relation to Jesus. So John made it clear that we're all sinners, deserving of the wrath of God and the fire of hell, right? That's, a, that's how he preached, fiery sermons. That's partially true. I say partially because the completion of the message, the reason why we actually call it good news, is the Jesus factor, right? So step one is realizing or coming awake. I like that. Awakening to the idea that, oh, actually, I'm a sinner. (laughs) Actually, I don't deserve God's goodness towards me. I deserve his wrath or his punishment for the things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I've done. I'm a sinner in need of a right. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where it becomes good news. I'm a sinner. Bad news. Bad news. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to wear white. I should be draped in black or blood, you know. I I don't deserve to be. But good news is Jesus has come. He went to the cross. He took my sin from me, nailed it to the cross, took that wrath upon himself, that punishment, so that I wouldn't have to. So by his grace and by putting my faith and trust in him, I'm changed in God's eyes. He sees me as a child of God, not a sinner to be destroyed. Praise the Lord. If you know Jesus, that's you too, right? So it's, it's a two-part message. John came and started the message And Jesus continued to say, repent. And Peter on Pentecost said, repent. So repent is a part of it. We can't skip the repent part. That's what the liberal church wants to do. Not to get political or anything, but just... We need to understand that there's 
a whole branch of the church, I won't call them disciples, but people who go to places called churches, who believe that there's no need for repentance. God loves everybody. No matter what you do or who you are, what you identify as, you are welcome in God's love. It's half a message. That's half a message. It's the better half. It's the good half. We're like, woo! God loves everybody, even sinners like me. True, but they don't want to face the sinner part. Bad that, guess what? I need a savior. I need Jesus. I need someone to come and rescue me. I need someone to help me to change because every time I try to change myself, I fail and I go back and I'm worse than I was before. I need God's help, God's grace, God's love. But I need to admit I'm a sinner. So the two go together as one gospel. It's one gospel. We don't have different gospels. We have one gospel, which involves awakening to the fact, I have sinned. I need God's grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his love. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me clean. And then I need to receive that and receive the spirit of that into my life. Hallelujah. God is good. So, Their faith in in our passage back in Acts 19 was somehow incomplete. Their religion probably was a constant struggle, a losing battle for peace in their lives, feeling at peace with God because they knew they were sinners, and they kept trying to be good. They kept trying to repent every time they sinned, but then they went back and sinned again and again and again. And some of you... That's, that's your journey too. That's my journey too sometimes where it's like, I know I've got to change that. I know I've got to, to, to be different, but I'm just not. And so I lose my peace with God, my inner peace with God. So the reason I love this passage here in Acts 19 is that this passage shows us that we need the Holy Spirit's power to be complete in our lives as Christians. To have the power over sin, to have the power to witness and testify in this world, we need the Spirit. And these disciples also needed that same thing. Because even when we see the error of our ways, if someone like John the Baptist points it out, ooh, you viper you, that's a terrible way to treat your wife. That's an awful way to cheat in the business world. You know, if someone points it out, that's only half the story. Right? We need the full story. We need to understand that we are people in need of change. And we need to repent. We need to make a decision to be different and determine to change. But the change will never come about without the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that one of the other names of the Holy Spirit is our helper? He's our comforter. Thank the Lord for that. But he's also our helper. He's our helper. Because he gives us wisdom. He gives us power to be changed and to be witnesses. That's what Acts 2, at the very beginning of our study of the book of Acts, was all about. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. He will give you power to be my witnesses in this world. 
He is the power that we need. So Paul asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they just, honest, I love it. They didn't try to fake it. They didn't say like, oh, yes, hallelujah, brother, hallelujah. But in their hearts, they knew that wasn't true, right? They said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. To any of us here today? Couldn't have been here too long. But if you're here this morning, even for the first time, and you didn't know there was a helper, a spirit, the spirit of God himself that would come into your life by grace and help you with life. Not just to bless you, but to make you a blessing. You see, this is how some of you were, and some of you may still be. You've heard about Jesus. You recognize your sin. You may have even repented of it a few times. You understood even that you should be baptized for some reason. That's a good thing to do. Get baptized. Right, Donna and Jim? Right? But you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live your new life and to live it as a witness to what Jesus does and what Jesus can do in our lives. You see, the power to do that is only given by God's Spirit. It's not willpower. We can't be better. It's not positive thinking. Think better. It's not confessing and proclaiming that this is going to be, even though it's not. It's receiving the power of the Holy Spirit personally in your life to change you. And it doesn't happen overnight. It is the sanctification process. It is one thing at a time as he works his way through our lives and begins to transform us by the power of God. Like these disciples, you may have joined a religion about the Messiah, not knowing about the power that he makes available to those who believe in him. Peter told the crowd at Pentecost, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And it doesn't end with a period there. I think that may have just been where these disciples were at. Because there's not a period, there's a comma. You will receive forgiveness for your sins, and, let's read it together, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right from Jesus' mouth. This is a quote. So he wants to forgive us and give us the Holy Spirit. Notice Paul doesn't criticize them or negate what they've already learned so far. They're on the right path. They're only partway there. So he pressed them to receive the fullness of what John the Baptist had seen only by the Spirit. We don't have recorded everything that he explained to them. Like I said, this passage is just a summary. It doesn't tell us everything that took place. There's a whole conversation, I believe, that would have taken place in this one, before this one little verse in verse 4. John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who was to come after him. That is in Jesus Christ. Because right in chapter 5, it says, when they heard this, 
They were baptized into Jesus' name. I think there's got to be a little more explanation than that. And you may need a little more explanation than that. Before we have baptisms here, before any individuals come to be baptized, they go through a Bible study that we have prepared to, to understand baptism. What is it all about? Because unfortunately, some of you were baptized as babies, not criticizing you. But I need you to understand something. You had no understanding of what you were doing. When he, when he asks them this question, into what then were you baptized? You were baptized because your parents, by their will, brought you to the church and to the font, and they poured some water on you. So if you tell me you were baptized as an infant, my question could be similar to Paul's. Well, what does that mean? What did that mean to you? Was that of your own free will? Did you desire that? Were you wanting to follow Jesus at the age of two months? Maybe. But I want to ask more questions. Again, I am a gentle person. I'm not trying to criticize anyone's traditions or families or past or whatever. But baptism in the name of Jesus is for disciples of Jesus Christ who understand what he has done for them on the cross through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for them. They need to understand Jesus to be able to walk in his ways and receive from him what he has given us. They were open to this. We can tell by verse 5. They didn't resist him. We've, we've seen lots of people resist Paul. They've thrown him out of the synagogue. They've, they've taken him down to court or whatever. These people were not resistant. Again, it was a small group, so maybe the conversation was able to answer a lot of their questions. And they were open even going to the meeting in the first place. There's a key there for some of you. You don't come open to church. You come here to check it off your checklist and get out of here as quick as possible. I know. Because sometimes I feel like that too. But I just, I just want us to grasp the whole fullness of this gospel and the fact that they were open to this. And I want to know, like, are you open to God, all of God, not just the portion that you learned in Sunday school when you were a kid or not just the few things you've learned as you tried to, to have a Bible study or whatever, but, but open to whatever God has for you in what's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our next study, which will come sometime soon, probably in the fall. We're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians. So, ta-da! Now you know. You can start studying it right now if you want to. And that's where they talk about the gifts of the Spirit and this and that and the other thing. And we get into all kinds of craziness. It'll be awesome. But right now we're still here. And I want to know, and God wants to know, are you open? Are you open to God's Spirit? Or do you think you already know it all? I got that. I've heard that. I'm good. First of all, you're not good. We all need God's grace and help in our lives. So it says simply in verse 5 and 6, when they came to the understanding of what Paul was talking about and what Jesus had offered and done for them, 
they were baptized into his name. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And now there were about 12 men in all. So the whole laying on of hands, I just want you to understand this. That's his prayer. That's how they pray for one another. We do it here as well sometimes. Sometimes we pray corporately, not touching anybody. But sometimes when you come forward for prayer, somebody put a hand on, their, on your shoulder or on your arm to just let you know that they're with you in this. But somehow in that interaction, the Holy Spirit came on them. It doesn't even say that Paul prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit just came. This is like a mini Pentecost. This is like God's amazing design because today's Pentecost Sunday. And we're talking about another Pentecost, a mini one with 12 people there, not 120. But isn't that awesome that it wasn't a one-time deal? It wasn't like you had to be in Jerusalem on a certain day at a certain time to be at Pentecost. The rest of you missed out. You didn't miss out on anything. The Holy Spirit's available every day for anyone who is open to God and anyone who has understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be at a special place at a special time on the globe somewhere. You got to be honest and open before God and say, God, just give me that gift. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the comfort and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but I have a picture of, of boxes because sometimes I get little pictures in my head. I told you my, my imagination's dangerous, but it's almost like you ordered something from that big store. I won't name. You ordered something and it was one order. You said, yeah, I'm going to pay $9.99 for that, right? And then you get like a little email and it says, your order will be coming in two boxes. <laughs> One's going to leave right now and be at your house in like 12 hours, and the other one will come next Thursday. <laughs> now, it's one order. It's one thing that you ask for. God, give me yourself. Help me to be saved and redeemed and filled with your love and filled with your spirit. It's one thing. It doesn't have to be separate things. But sometimes, according to God's word, it looks like there might be a second box. And you don't want to get box number one and open it up and try to use it and it's all broken and you're like, I don't understand, it doesn't work. Some of you have lived your Christian lives that way. I don't understand. I love Jesus, I know he died on the cross for me, but my life is a wreck. It doesn't make any sense and I'm a terrible witness. Maybe box number two hasn't arrived yet. Maybe today you could get box number two, or tomorrow or the next day. Ask God for his help. Stay open. Don't just be open on the day you were saved. Be open every day. God, fill me with your spirit. Use me for your purposes. Cleanse me, change me, mold me, make me. Allow me to be a true witness who can testify of your goodness. I need your spirit for that to happen. End of discussion. Agree? Capiche? Whatever that means. I think it's Greek, right, Gary? Let's pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And during the song, if you want to come forward for prayer, you want to use the altar for prayer, you want to come to the prayer team, oh yeah, that's me and my wife today, we'll be over there. Be open. 
If life has been this constant struggle and you just don't understand and you're living under guilt and shame and condemnation because you know you should be a better person by now, but you're still a wreck. Maybe the help of the Holy Spirit will begin to change you and make you more like Jesus. And God can use us more wonderfully in his world. Amen? Happy Pentecost. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love and for your plan. It is the perfect plan for us. We need to admit our sin. We need a Savior. And our Savior comes bearing gifts. The gift of his very own presence, his help, his comfort, his strength, his wisdom. Oh God, don't let us live on just one box. We need the whole thing. So God, if there's any one of us here today that just needs to be open and ask you to fill us, Lord, change us, give us more of your spirit, help us each to have a heart that yearns for you every day to be filled with your spirit so that God can use us the way that you intend to use us in this world, that we would be changed, that we wouldn't be the same old sinner we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago but that our lives would be transformed by the grace and mercy of God. We know on this world we'll never be perfect, but God, we know that you are working on us to change us and make us more like Jesus. So God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Pentecost. Thank you for the first Pentecost and the second Pentecost and the third and the multiples afterwards. We know that you are a God who gives good gifts to his children. And when we ask for those gifts, You don't give us a stone. You give us bread from heaven. Feed us now, Lord. As we sing this song, Lord, help it to be a prayer of our hearts and of our church. In Christ we pray. Amen.